Good morning, everybody. I am Mike Palmer, like Ryan said, and um, it is so good to see so many of you here. And for those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much for being with us as we jump into week two of our uh, nine-week sermon series that we are calling Joy Together. But before I get into it, I just want to mention um, how grateful I am for Adam's video. That was really nice, wasn't it, for him to share his story. But one of the things I really like, amen, one of the things I really like is, is, is something kind of simple he said, but it meant a lot to me when he said, uh, I might as well go see what these people have to say. And that's, that's a really big deal because sometimes that's the attitude of folks who come to church. And I just want to say, if you're here because you just want to see what these people have to say, thank you for being here and not just coming to eat food at the picnic later on. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, like I said, we're jumping into week two of our sermon series called uh, Joy Together, and we're just going to kind of continue the journey, uh, picking up where our senior pastor, Titus O'Brien, left off last week. And I'm going to go ahead and just start by reading some scripture. Now, um, I am so glad that Titus had to read a lot of verses last week because he warmed you up for all the verses that I have to read this week. Uh, so if you're going to get upset, like always in church, blame it on the senior pastor, right? <laughs> just like the quarterback. So let me just start. So meet me at uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 14. He ended at 14. Uh, it's just a good way for us to jump into verse 15, and I'm going to read through verse 30. I'm using the NIV Bible, and you can follow along with whatever version you have, or you can just kind of follow along on the screen. So starting at verse 14, it says, and this is Paul, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you or with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign for them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Again, uh, as Titus mentioned last week, allowing God to use this letter, you know, uh, and Paul's situation to better, as he put it, align us um, to see how we see him and how we see life and how we see the world, and allow it to help us to navigate through the challenges that we face as we go along this Christian journey. I want to talk about having a clear perspective in unclear circumstances. Now, last week, we were given some homework. And I know everybody did their homework. We were asked to read the book of Philippians. And I know what happened. We didn't have the picnic. And so what I know what happened, you guys rushed out of here and you went home. And before you turned on the Ravens game, you sat down in your game day purple and you read all four chapters of the book of Philippians. Amen? Yeah, like six people said, yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> uh, but we were asked to do that. We were asked to read. It's a very easy read, like Titus said, 15, 20 minutes, maybe a half hour at the most. Um, it's a really easy story to just read through. Uh, but also he asked us to make Philippians 1.6 a part of our everyday lives. You know, Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Just reading that and reading that and even maybe writing it down somewhere and keeping it with you so that you can be reminded that the good work that God has done in you, he will complete it, carry it on to completion. And then the last thing that he asked us to do, and you could pick one or two or three, uh, you didn't have to do all these things, but I really like the last thing he asked us to do, and he said, ask, our, ask yourself the challenging question, how is God inviting you to be a part of his good work right now? Now, right now, I am wearing a LifePoint Kids t-shirt. And I'm doing that because in addition to being the pastor of care, I also get to serve as a pastor of family life, which means that I get to experience and witness the joy that comes with serving downstairs and even in our nursery uh, with our kids and with the babies and even with our hugs ministry downstairs, our special needs ministry. There is a lot of joy that is to be had in serving in that ministry. And we hope that some of you will accept God's invitation uh, to serve in that ministry and experience that joy as well. But wherever it is that God invites you to experience the joy of volunteering and serving, uh, I just want you to keep in mind that um, serving God and volunteering and our committed service to him uh, doesn't exempt us from the hardships that, life, hardships that life throws at us. In fact, it's because of our committed service to Jesus Christ that we may find ourselves facing some of the challenges that we face. And there are times when our problems and our struggles can get such a tight grip on us that we can knowingly and even unknowingly begin to drift away from serving and even worshiping God with others. And if we're not careful, we can get stuck in the negative feelings that come with all of these challenges that we're going through and begin to believe that nothing good 
could ever come out of what it is we're going through. I don't know who it is, but I know I've been there and maybe somebody else has where you've just had that feeling. You were serving God and all of a sudden something went wrong and you get caught up in these feelings and next thing you know, you're not in, ser in service. I know at the churches that I pastored, I would have this conversation uh, a few times with people. You know, you, you notice that somebody hasn't been to church in a while and uh, I would ask them, you know, if they were doing okay and let them know I hadn't seen them. And I had to be careful why I said that. I didn't want them to think, you know, I was accusing them of anything. Uh, but just letting them know care, uh, lovingly that I just, I missed seeing them in church. And you wouldn't believe how many times I've had somebody respond by saying, well, pastor, um, I've been going through something and I just needed to, I needed some time away. And it's interesting that, that and I, I would, you know, have further the conversation by just telling them how interesting it is um, that uh, we as people, as human beings, often find ourselves drifting away from the place where God would want to speak into our hearts and help us to get through whatever it is we're going through. And so that happens sometimes. It happens to the best of us where we don't think we can get out of whatever it is we're going through because those feelings have such a tight grip on us. But Paul lets us know here that that doesn't have to be your story. That doesn't have to be my story. When we're dealing with the difficulties that make us feel like we're confined to this negative space uh, that causes us to believe that there is no way uh, there can be a positive outcome, uh, he says that this does not have to be our story. Paul shows us here that it's possible to experience joy in those moments of uncertainty. And not only does he show us that, he also shows us how to use our joy for the benefit of others and the glory of God in those uncertain moments. And so I want to touch on three areas. I want to read just a little bit of three areas of uh, these hundred verses I just read to you um, and show you where there are these three moments in, in this part of the letter where uh, I want to highlight where his joy, Paul's joy, allows him to deal with that which is currently unclear by having a very clear perspective of Jesus Christ. In other words, he stays focused on Jesus, and that's how he's able to maintain his joy and also how he was to, able to stay motivated and keep moving forward and fulfilling his purpose uh, in furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing uh, that a clear perspective, I believe, will do for us is it will help us to choose our battles wisely. Now, in verse 14, or starting in verse 14, uh, Paul says that because of his imprisonment, there are people who are fearlessly uh, proclaiming the gospel, and some preach out of goodwill and love, while others preach out of envy and rivalry, and because they just want to stir up trouble for Paul. And Paul's response to this, interestingly enough, is, so what? Paul is like, what does it matter? He said, what really matters is whether Christ is preached. And so Paul's perspective of Jesus and his joy for preaching the gospel is displayed in this moment in how he was able to use his discernment. You see, some may be thinking that it's an easy call to make. You know, if you're in Paul's position and um, you have to choose between, you know, letting people preach or, you know, fighting that battle. It just seems as we read the story, and, and we have the, the, the privilege of knowing how the story ends, so of course we would choose what Paul chose. It's the right thing, right? But what Paul is um, letting us know is that he was also presented with some challenges along the way, and I just wanted to share in this uh, part of the scripture where he may have been 
um, challenged by a couple of things as he made the decision not to deal with those preachers. Now, in order to see where his discernment works and where his joy is and how he chooses the battle, we got to go back to chapter 16 of Acts, where Paul and Silas and their crew, they end up in Philippi. And remember, Paul is arrested there. He goes to jail. Remember, he's in the inner prison, and then the, the ground begins to shake, and the doors come off. You guys remember the guy, what must I do to be saved, right? That's the story in Acts 16. But the way he ended up uh, being locked up was um, key here. So uh, him and his guys, they run into a lady. She is um, she's a, a, a demon-possessed uh, slave who is making a lot of money for her owners or her masters by doing some fortune-telling. And um, one day uh, she runs into Paul and his guys and she, she shouts these words. She says, these men are servants of the most high or the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, if you listen to her words, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the words she uses. But there is something wrong with her motive. Remember, she's demon possessed, right? Well, fast forward to Philippians chapter 1, and based on what Paul says about some of the preachers who are preaching, there's nothing wrong with their words either, but there is something wrong with their motives. And so in both cases, there are true words and there are false motives. But Paul makes the decision to address the motives of the woman in Acts 16, and then he just kind of lets the stuff go with the preachers. He kind of brushes off the motives of the preachers in Philippians chapter 1. And in case you can't see it, uh, it, he chooses to fight one battle and not fight the other for the same reason. He deals with the woman in Acts chapter 16, but he leaves the preachers alone in Philippians for the exact same reason. And that reason is so that the clear message of Jesus Christ can reach as many people as possible. That's it. See, Paul had to put a stop to that lady and what she was doing in Philippi uh, because uh, the, for the Philippians, if they are listening, if they are trying to or if they're interested in what Paul and his guys are trying to teach them, but they hear this uh, woman giving her demonic approval of their divine gifts and, 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 and credentials, then it can become confusing. They are listening to these guys share the gospel, but they understand there's this demonic woman who is promoting them and advertising them, almost acting as a promoter. She follows them around telling people about the good work they're doing, but she has the wrong motives, and that can be confusing for a lot of people. So Paul has to put a stop to it. So he chooses to clear the way for the gospel by removing that spirit, knowing it was going to cause him some suffering. But on the other hand, if you read the story, Paul would have been the one getting in the way of spreading of the gospel if he got caught up in his feelings and decided to deal with that certain group of preachers who, from the looks of things, just were jealous of Paul and wanted the status or the notoriety that he had. Because when you look at both, one was an issue of, of, of something being offensive to God. The other was something just being offensive to Paul. The woman's demonic spirit was offensive to God. Paul dealt with that. But when you look at these motives of these preachers, envy, rivalry, just causing trouble for Paul, he had to look at that and say, oh, that's just stuff they don't like about me. But if they're preaching the true gospel, I'll just let them have it and they can talk about me all they want. And that's where we have to just be clear and discern the battles that we're going to fight. Because if somebody's hurting your feelings, but the gospel is being preached, then go ahead and let the gospel be preached. That's pretty much what Paul does here. 
He said, go ahead and, you know, it's that whole, you know, sticks and stones, but names will never hurt me, right? And he just lets them preach. In short, this is not about just letting things slide. I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying, oh, just let things slide. Anybody can say anything about you. That's not the case here. Jesus didn't let everything slide, right? It's about fighting the battles that Christ wants you to fight and knowing which battles those are requires an ongoing intimate relationship with Jesus so that we can clearly hear his voice when those decisions need to be made. And so a clear perspective of Jesus can help us to choose our battles wisely. And then secondly, a clear perspective of Jesus will allow us to courageously discuss our past. Wow, this is a challenging one because I remember a time where I didn't want to tell people about my past. I just really wanted to talk about, you know, all the good times I was having with Jesus. Well, Paul goes on to say that he knows that because of the prayers of the church and the God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to him will turn out for his deliverance. But what he doesn't know is what that deliverance is going to look like as he presumably uh, speaks about his testimony that he's going to give at his upcoming trial in verse 20, where he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, I want you to notice where Paul's focus is. His desire is that in his boldness of speech before his captors, Christ will be exalted, that Christ will be magnified. That's where his desire lies. Now, whichever way this thing goes, he wants to ensure that those who are present to hear his testimony see more of Christ than they did prior to him standing before him and saying whatever it is he's going to say. Now, the part of this that caused me to pause a little bit was where Paul says, now as always. Now, I'm going to tell you this. When I read stuff like this, I'll stop and just have this conversation with Paul because I was like, wait a minute, Paul, you know, what do you mean now as always? Is it, you know, as so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body? Because hearing him say that, um, you know, focused my mind in a direction that I wasn't sure it was supposed to go. Because when I read that he says now as always Christ will be exalted, I was like, as always, Paul? Because it's not like he says now and always and causes me to look forward in his life. He says now as always, and now I'm looking back in his life. And all I'm thinking is, Paul, wait a minute, as always, because I remember your Saul days. I remember when you witnessed and approved of Stephen being stoned and how you uh, took a leadership role in destroying the church in Acts chapters 7 and 8. So how can you say as always. That troubled me. And so I learned that um, we understand what he means by as always, when we also include what he says about Christ being exalted in his body. Because here, when we put it all together, Paul is making, he's pointing to this bigger, bigger picture. Now, some of us may hear him say, uh, speak of his body and believe he's referring to Christ being exalted in the courageous way he presents himself when he testifies before his captors. And you would be right. But there's more. Some of us will hear him say now, as always, and believe that he might be referring to Christ being exalted during the period of his life uh, that began when he surrendered himself to Jesus Christ in Acts chapter nine. And you would be you would be right, too. 
but there's more. The as always goes a lot further back than his point of conversion, and his body is more than that which is standing in court before his captors. What Paul is teaching us is that in order for Christ to be fully exalted in his body before others, he has to have the courage to be able to tell the whole story of his life and not just part of it. Because if Christ is going to be exalted, if Christ is going to be magnified in our lives, we have to have the courage to tell the whole story and not just the pretty parts of it. If Paul Paul wants people to understand the significance of his chapter 9 conversion experience, he has to go a little further back and talk about his leader efforts, leadership efforts to destroy the church and how he was actually on his way to arrest people when he met Jesus. If he wants people to understand how much Jesus has changed his life, he has to go back even further and talk about how he was happy to see Stephen stoned to death because of his commitment to Christ. With that said, I want to encourage each and every one of you, if you're not already there, to work on getting to a place in your relationship with Jesus Christ where you can courageously and even joyfully, like Adam did, share your whole story so that people understand how loving, how forgiving, and how patient God has been. Amen? It troubles me. When we ask people how they're doing, and please, because... You know, I'm going to ask somebody how they're doing, and you're going to think about answering this question now. I probably just set myself up. But, you know, you ask somebody how they're doing, and, and, and a lot of people like to start in their Chapter 9 experience. But, but if you want people to know how good God has been in your life, go back to Chapter 1 and tell people about the time when you didn't have anything. Because we like to start when we already have the car and the house, and the wife, and the husband, and the kids, and the money. But we should go back and talk to people about why that means so much to us. It's not because I have money or a house or a car. It's because of the mistakes I made that should have led me down a different road. If it had not been for Jesus in my life, where would I be? And we want to fully exalt him, and so we've got to tell the whole story. And I know you got to be careful who you tell your whole story to, right? Say amen. You can't put all, you know, you don't want to cast your pearls before swine, right? The Bible says that. But you want to make sure that when appropriate, when you hear from God that revelation that he wants you to share your story, that you be willing to sit down like Adam did and talk about the time when you didn't want to have anything to do with God or you were in church and you just weren't doing the things you were supposed to do and how now God has changed your life and you have such a clear perspective of him, and you are happy to share that with somebody so they know just not how blessed you are, but how big God is. And so tell that story. And then lastly, a clear perspective of Jesus will help us to stand firm in our faith. I want to read these verses to you again uh, as we finish up, starting at verse 27. Whatever happens, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but they but that, they, but that you will be saved and that by God. And then here is the last part that I want to make a point about. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Keep this in mind as we keep a clear perspective of Jesus that believing in him, believing in Jesus comes with suffering for Jesus. And that's the clear perspective we have to have. We don't want to sell this false perspective to people that if they come to Jesus, everything is going to be okay all the time. The Bible teaches us, and it says it specifically right here, that we have been granted uh, uh, the, the opportunity, the pleasure, the joy, the blessing of believing in him, but also to suffer with him. And so our believing in him, it comes with some suffering. And so when the suffering comes, just remember, it is not a suffering separate from your relationship with Christ. It is a suffering that comes with your relationship with Christ. And so in that suffering, guess who's there with you? Jesus Christ. When it comes, kick in the joy mode, recognizing that that joy or that suffering is there because of your commitment, because of your service. And like the Bible teaches us, he will never leave us or forsake us, that he'll be right there with us. Find joy in your relationship with Jesus so that when you hit those hard times, you can look within yourself because that's what Paul does as he's talking to the Philippians or writing this letter. He's looking within himself and he finds strength and joy in the relationship with Jesus Christ to keep moving. Some time ago, as a matter of fact, it's been 10 years now. I remember because Mike was four years old. That's my son, by the way. Um, And if I told you this story, pretend like you haven't heard it. Lisa was out of town. That's my wife. Um, And I'm home with a four-year-old and a boxer. And, you know, just trying to figure out what to do. You know, he's a little boy, you know, running around all over the place. Dog, at some point it's time to go outside. So we go out front, and in front of our house, there's um, the porch, and it's it's only maybe a foot off the ground. And... uh, just out off of the porch, there are some rocks with some, some shrubs. And about six, seven feet, you hit the grass, right? So you got the porch, you have the rocks, you have the grass. And what I had just done that day was I put the sprinkler, you know, out in the grass. So it's doing this thing, right? So what Mike does, and I didn't know he was going to do it, he jumps off the porch onto the rocks, runs through the rocks into the grass, gets in the grass and jumps through the sprinkler, fully dressed, right? Okay. He comes back, runs up on the porch, runs behind me. I'm sitting on the porch at this time, jumps off the porch onto the rocks, runs through the rocks into the grass, into the grass, jumps through the sprinkler. He's four. He keeps doing it, right? (laughs) Best day of my life. Because you know what I did? I sat right there and did absolutely nothing. (laughs) And he keeps on running. Well, he comes behind me this one time, And he jumps off the porch into the rocks. But this time he doesn't land well, as sometimes a four-year-old will do. And he actually falls forward, slides just a little bit on the rocks, 
and ouch, right? So he's laying there and, um, you know, don't judge me for this. I watched him for a second. Now, if he had been a girl, I don't, I'm not a girl dad, but I had a feeling that I probably would have jumped off. I probably would have hit the ground before she did. This is a boy. So I just, I mean, he's, he's laying there for a second and I started to get up, but I didn't. And I watched him for a second and he started to tear up and he then he looks at me and he's looking down at the ground and he's, you know, starting to cry a little bit, but not really. And then he stops and he looks at me like, you know, what are you doing just sitting there? And um, he looks back at the rocks. This is interesting. He looks back at the rocks and then he looks at me again. He looks at the rocks. He does that a couple times and then he pushes himself up. He dusts himself off. He runs through the rocks, into the grass, through the grass, and jumps through the sprinkler. Now, I'm a preacher, right? I find some kind of illustration, some meaning in this, and this is why I'm telling you the story, because what hit me that day was that my son, in all of his four-year-old body, when he was laying on those rocks, that he looked at me, and he looked down at the rocks, and he looked out at the sprinkler and down at the rocks, and he decided in his mind that the pain of the rocks is nothing compared to the joy of the sprinkler. And I just want to encourage you that when you find yourself on the rocks, that you look out at the sprinkler and just get up and dust yourself off. And you tell yourself and anybody around that this might have hurt me, but it is nothing compared to the joy of the sprinkler. And I want you to get whatever help. I wasn't any help to my son at all. <laughs> but get whatever help you need. And you have, there's a lot of help right here. If you need Celebrate Recovery to get you off the rocks, come and join us in Celebrate Recovery. If you've lost a loved one and you need Grief Share to get you off the rocks and into the sprinkler, come and sign up for Grief Share. If you are going through an issue with cancer and you need changing cancer, we have that here. It'll help get you off the rocks and experience the joy that life still has for you even though you have cancer. You have family and friends. A small group will help you get off the rocks. It's happened so many times here as the pastor of care that I didn't even have to involve myself because small groups got their members off of the rocks and helped them find the joy of the sprinklers. And then we have our prayer team here and our prayer gathering folks who every single day are praying you off those rocks even when you don't know it. Because we want you to get off the rocks and experience the joy of the sprinklers. Whatever you have to do, get off the rocks. Look at Jesus. Find that joy inside. And go jump yourself through the sprinkler. Let's pray. God, we thank you for blessing us to be here today. We're grateful for our relationship with you. Um, and we accept the fact that the challenges are going to come our way. And a lot of our challenges are going to come simply because we are committed to you, we love you, and we want to serve you. And so in those moments, God, we just hate, we pray that you give us a clear perspective of you. Things around us and people around us are uncertain a lot of times, but you are absolute. You are who you are every single day, all the time. And so we just pray that we'll have um, the sense to focus on you, to put our hardships, our challenges, our problems in your hands, 
so that we can still find and be motivated by the joy that comes from a relationship with you even when we're dealing with times of uncertainty. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.